0: Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, at first glance, uh, what I want to take a look at today is the last verse of First John, which at first glance seems a little bit as almost a tagline to the rest of the letter, yet I find that, uh, that it holds a, a lot of meaning. In fact, I think it's one of the most critical issues that oftentimes impacts our faith and practice, and I think there's a reason that John reminds these followers and and kind of sheds light uh, on this area that can trip up our faith if we're if we're not careful. First John chapter five, and we're going to look at the last verse, and then we're going to go back and uh, and look at a couple of other uh, verses here throughout uh, in in First John. First John five twenty one. And it, it's real short. It simply says this, Dear children, remember John is writing kind of as a, as a spiritual father to these areas, these believers that he has pastored. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Just like that. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Now, this is packed with a warning that something that has affected people throughout generations, and that is idolatry idolatry to contemporary people the word idolatry might conjure up pictures of of maybe a a primitive people who are bowing down to statues but if we survey the book of acts we find that idolatry was not just an old testament issue but actually it was something even within the roman context in the roman world the greco-roman world Each city worshipped its favorite deities. They built shrines around their images of of worship. In fact, when Paul went to the city of Athens, it was literally filled with all kinds of images and little gods and idols and, and, and divinities. Acts 17, 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly distressed. And look at the last part of this verse. The city was full of idols. The city was full of idols. In that city, there was the Parthenon of Athena that seemed to overshadow everything. But beyond just that, there were other deities that were represented right in the public square. In fact, one of those deities was Aphrodite, who was the goddess of beauty. Then there was Eris, the god of war, and Artemis, the goddess of fertility and wealth, and, and Haphratus, the god of craftsmanship. And although this might be a stretch for our Western mind to kind of wrap around, these same types of things that these gods that they worship represented are not much different from that which our culture falls into in worship today. I mean, think about these themes. Each culture was, was around these themes. They had its priesthood and totems and rituals. Each one had a shrine, whether, whether a, a, an office towers or spas or gyms or studios or stadiums, where sacrifices are made in order to procure the, the blessing of the good life and to ward off the evil spirits or ward off disaster. Adultery maybe has shifted from bowing down to a statue to the replacement of God in our mind. May I suggest to you today that the gods of beauty and wealth and power and money and achievement are still very much a part of worship today within our culture. How many would agree with that? We may not physically kneel before a statue of Aphrodite, but many young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders over over struggles with body image, right? Perpetuated by Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. Hollywood pop cultures portray images of beauty that deceive towards a dangerous pursuit. Additionally, we may not burn incense to the God of Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions today, neglecting family and community to achieve a a higher place in business or gain more wealth and prestige, then we too are bowing down and worshiping this idol, this idol of money and power and prestige. This is something that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. This is idolatry is not anything that is new. In fact, when the Israelites were, were coming out of their exodus from Egypt, God led the Israelites to a mountain. And there at that mountain, he gave them his law. How many have heard of the Ten Commandments? Right? The Ten Commandments. Moses, right? And God spoke his law, and he began by addressing his people in this way about this fundamental issue, Exodus 22 through 4. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. Even way back then, idolatry was an issue, and God knew it. In fact, he, he talks about this, and it was critical for us to get this foundation to understand where the Israelites were at. When they had gone into to Egypt, they were a family. They were just a family, the, the family of, 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 of Isaac, who before him, or, or of, excuse me, Jacob, or his name was changed to Israel before him. His father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, and they worshiped God. But now, generations later, after 400 years in the land of Egypt into a culture that, that worshiped other gods and, and and worshiped other deities, now we find all of a sudden this family with this culture of saying, boy, who do we worship? Who do we worship? We have the Lord God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and 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 do we worship that God? But is that God just one of many gods and many goddesses? Egypt had over 80. There were over 80 uh, uh, gods and goddesses in Egypt. And so you can imagine the culture in which they were coming out of at that time. They were coming out of that culture. How many know that idolatry is worship? And worship is more than just singing songs, isn't it? Worship is about what we center our lives upon. It's about what we center our lives upon. And so here they come out of Egypt. God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. They come out of Egypt and, 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 and God had demonstrated his power above and beyond all of the gods and goddesses of Egypt. With the different things that had that happened and, and God wanted to remind his people that it was he who was the one that was responsible for their freedom. And it was he who was the one that was responsible for their protection. It was he who was the one that was responsible for, for making sure that they felt secure and safe and satisfied. God said, I'm the one who's going to do that. I'm the one that's going to provide I'm the one that's going to give you joy. I'm the one that's going to give you happiness. I'm the one who's going to be your security. If we go back to 1 John, one of the essential issues in 1 John and the reason that John was writing is because there was a generation of people who had grown up. A first generation that had been eyewitnesses, John being one of them, but now he's older in years, eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ, his resurrection, firsthand knowledge of of that impact, but there was a new generation that was coming behind that were confused, and now there were others who had come into the church and were trying to show discord, saying Jesus Christ is not God. Jesus Christ is not deity. He's just a simple, he's just a good prophet or a good teacher, but he's not God, and one of the issues that 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 john has been writing to us about is that we have to get who jesus is right it's about our worship we've got to get who jesus is right because when we get who jesus is right that impacts our worship but when we have who jesus is wrong it's easy for us to slide into idolatry It's easy for our hearts to drift away from the worship of Jesus as the center and the supreme God of all gods, name above every other name, and to slide in to believing that there are other things that can satisfy our soul and other things that can provide for us security and safety and peace in our lives. John spent much of his letter reminding the people that it was Jesus who was responsible for their spiritual freedom and, and, and that it was him who could release them from the control. 1 John five 19, we're going to read a little bit later as well, control of the evil one. And that it's through spiritual rebirth or being born again that they are now children of God in Christ Jesus. And this is what was God was doing when he was back with the Israelites at the mountain in Mount Sinai. This is what he was doing. He was reminding them of who he was, that he was the one who was responsible for that. So he opens his law by reminding them of what he's done. And that makes the request not that unreasonable, saying you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make an idol in the form of anything in heaven on earth, uh, heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. Why would they need to be reminded of something like that? Why do we need a message like this today? Why does John finish his letter by reminding us to keep ourselves away from idols? Why do we need that kind of a reminder? Well, because the human heart is prone to idolatry. It's prone to idols. A.W. Tozer once said this, Left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God to manageable terms. We like to manage God. We like a God we can manage. We like a God we can control. We like a God that fits into our little box, into our little narrative, and like a genie does whatever we think he ought to do. And when God doesn't do that, our minds are blown and all of a sudden our insecurities rise up and we begin to look for other things or other people that we can put our trust in and our hope in and our security in and look to to satisfy our heart and provide provide the happiness or the joy that we're searching for. And when we don't think we can find that in almighty God, we begin to drift and look for that in something else or someone else. And isn't that the danger? Isn't that the danger? We, we drift towards worshiping a God we can control or fashion in our own hands. Maybe not in the form of a statue, but maybe in the form of other excess. I think Paul nails down this problem of idolatry in Romans 1 when he says this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. You see, idolatry is an exchange. It's an exchange, an exchange of the worship of God and serving him only. And exchanging it for other lesser things. The human heart is an idol factory. In Ezekiel 14.3. God says about the elders of Israel. These men have set up idols in their hearts. They probably responded with. What idols? What do you mean idols? Where, where, Where are these idols coming from? But God was not talking about literal statues of worship. In fact, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, this is what he wrote about idolatry. I love it. He said, God was saying that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. He goes on to say, our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. Furthermore, we tend to think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes, especially the very best things in life. So if we were to if we were to define what is idolatry, if we were to define idolatry, today at what it might look like we might we might say this if i if, if, if we might say this if i have that whatever i look for and say in my heart of hearts if i have that if i have that thing if i have that value i know i value that or that is what i need in order to feel significant or secure then i probably have a relationship that is tending or drifting towards idolatry idolatry in fact idolatry is worshiping anything other than god worshiping god as anything less than he's revealed himself to be worshiping god plus any other thing or god or worshiping god in a way that the bible forbids idolatry is worship that includes the wrong god and the wrong way that's idolatry be family, children, career, making money, achievements, saving face or social standing. It might be a romantic relationship. It might be, do I, do I have the approval of my peers? There's all kinds of things that we can begin to elevate to the place of worship. An idol is something that we can't live with or without. We must have it. Oftentimes it might drive us to break the rules. Things that we never said. Lines we've never said we'd cross. All of a sudden it drives us in those ways. Maybe to harm others or even ourselves in order to get it. An idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs the heart and the imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can provide. Wow. That kind of puts it down, right? Not just a statue somewhere. You mean it's not just a little statue? It's not just a, 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 you know, a little thing that I rub? You mean it's not a rabbit's foot for good luck? No, oftentimes it's things that we find that wind up in our heart that cause us to drift away. Drift away from God that we look to to provide. As a result, earlier in his letter, this is what John wrote as a warning. And I think it's a warning to all of us today. He writes this in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes... And, and the boasting of what he, he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Let's break this down a little bit. What does John mean by do not love the world? I, I, I think if we take a look, there, there are a couple of different contexts for what the meaning of the world is. Is. First, I think the, the world itself can mean the earth or the created world in which we now live. I don't think that's what John is talking about here. But part of the things that we see in scripture is, is that God created the world. He created the earth. He created what we live. I don't think that, that what he's talking about is, is the physical creation of the world. I think another image of, of the of the world is lost people. And in and, and John three sixteen earlier, he wrote this, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Now he's saying, do not love the world or anything in the world. That seems to contradict itself. But what he's not saying is, he's not saying, do not love lost people. In John three sixteen the world means lost people. For God so loved the world, he so loved those who are lost that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, To give his life so that we will not perish, but have eternal life. That context of the world is lost people. But in this particular passage, in First John 2.15, he's talking about the world. And what he's saying is, this is a system, a world system, a worldview, so to speak, a system of thinking, a pattern of living, a, a culture in which we find ourselves in that is under the influence of Satan. That is under the control of Satan or the evil one. That is driven by certain passions and driven by certain lusts and driven by certain pride. That God is not in it and it is a world that lives as if God does not exist. That's the kind of system. And he says, listen, there are a lot of pools that happen like gravity in this world and systems and worldviews and possessions and earthly things that pass away where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Do not put your heart into those things. Do not love those things or those systems. Idolatry, the things that are crafted, created, the things that we can manage and control. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And that's why 1 John five nineteen, just a few verses before, dear, dear children, keep yourselves from, from idols. He says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. He, he, he's setting it up to say, listen, there's a, there's a system, there's a worldview that acts as if God does not exist and does everything it can to rebel against God and go its own way and do its own thing. That is what we are not to get attached to. That is what we are not to put our hope in. That's what we're not to fall in love with. Beliefs and cultures and organizations that neglect God. You see, worldliness is a preoccupation with ease and affluence. It elevates creature comforts to the point of idolatry and temporary and created things to the worship, to worship above any kind of honor of God. Another example is Paul telling Timothy of one person who walked with Paul at one point and served God at one point, but had a problem with loving the world. His name was Demas. 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Apparently, his love for this world caused him to abandon Paul and possibly even his faith. John uses the word love in connection with the things of this world, and it contradicts the teaching of Jesus, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Loving the world is elevating the pleasures and the pursuits of this world above our relationship with Jesus, and it's so easy to drift into idolatry. What are some of the causes? What are some of the things that might cause us to drift, cause our hearts to drift into idolatry? Well I believe these verses they give us three of the primary that we see throughout scripture. They're primary hazards that that trip us up. The first is the lust of the flesh. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version, just the first part of this, 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the, the Amplified Version kind of puts in, in parentheses here, it defines that out, the craving for sensual gratification. The flesh represents our, our physical selves and our physical appetites. How many you know that we all have been created with certain appetites? I'm sure there are some of you that did not eat breakfast this morning and you're waiting for brunch when this service is done and this pastor starts talk, stops talking so much. I want to get my brunch. I want to get them donuts afterwards if there's any left out in the foyer. There's there are, there are appetites that we have. There are natural appetites. There are certain things that are part of our appetites. The problem is, is when we begin to elevate those appetites or when those appetites go in excess or when those cravings of the flesh draw us into things that are contrary to what God's word says is good for us. When those appetites are not under the control of the Holy Spirit and they dominate our lives and our thinking, when they control and direct our decisions, then we have drifted into idolatry. Adam and Eve faced this temptation in the Garden of Eden. God set them up in a beautiful garden. He'd given them everything they needed. He only gave them one rule to start out with. Genesis two sixteen and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you'll surely die. There was just one tree, one one fruit of that tree that they were not to eat from. One tree they were not to eat from, but the lust of the flesh begins to take shape as Satan the serpent comes and in the image of a certain com- a serpent comes and, and he gets to Eve to start questioning God. Did God really say you can't eat from that tree? It plays on the desires of her flesh. The desires of her flesh. She had an appetite to enjoy the fruit of the garden, but I'm sure that there might have been conversations of, boy, this fruit is really good, but I wonder what that tastes like and why can't we taste it? Isn't that, isn't that our hearts sometimes? Isn't that where we find ourselves sometimes? Sometimes. That there's a lot of things we've been blessed with and a lot of things that that God has provided for us to find satisfaction and joy in. But it just happens to be the the thing that, that we go, oh, but what about that thing? What about that? Our hearts drift just like that. And so wondering about what that fruit might taste like, Genesis 3, 6 says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, good for food, she was hungry and the food looked good, her physical appetite and the lust moved her beyond obedience to God's word and into taking something that God said, you shall not eat from. It was the lust of the flesh that, 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 that gave into those physical cravings. The lust of the flesh will tell you, "You cannot live without this, you have to have this, you won't be truly happy without it. You won't be truly satisfied unless you, unless you have this, or unless you achieve that level, unless you have that thing, that shiny new thing, whatever it is, you will not be happy. unless you have that relationship, you will not be happy again." It's so easy, right? Our minds. See, the, the problem with temptation, oftentimes we think that temptation is just something that Satan does, this outside thing, this spiritual, this evil force, this, this evil thing. But this is what the book of James tells us, James 1, 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when his, by, his, by his own evil desire, by, by his own evil desire. What? Did I just read that right? By his what? By, oh, his own evil desire. He is dragged away and Enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. See, it's often the desires that are within. The lust of the flesh, the desires that, that form within, that, that are the first part that, that open us up to giving into temptation. And to beginning to lead us in where our hearts drift into idolatry. And when those internal desires go unchecked, we, we find ourselves being led into that temptation. Yet, later on, and I love it, Adam and Eve are contrasted with Jesus. There, there are similar things that happen in, with, with regard to the temptation. Jesus coming out of 40 days uh, of fasting, but in the wilderness he was baptized. Heard, heard the voice of his father, this is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And then the tempter came. The tempter came, remember Jesus is hungry and what does the tempter say? The first one, Matthew 4:3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Tell these stones to become bread. Physical appetite, nothing wrong with it. Jesus fasting. But here, is he going to listen to the voice of Satan? Or is he going to listen to the voice of his heavenly father? And that's where the desires come in. See, there's desires that are inside of us. Not all of them are, are, are bad desires. But when we begin to listen to the voice of Satan over the voice of God, when we begin to let our desires be directed and controlled. The lust of the flesh directing and controlling our desires. That's when we begin to get off course. That's when we begin to, to drive. drive Away, but, but Jesus, Jesus responds. He says, I'm not gonna take orders from you, Satan. And he he battled with the word of God. He said, It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, he says, These physical appetites must be in subjection to the word of God. These these physical appetites, these physical lusts of the flesh must be crucified with Christ. They've got to be crucified. They've got to take second place to the actual word of God, the word of God that directs, the word of God that leads to life, the word of God that leads to hope, the word of God that leads to true fulfillment in our lives. Because when we don't listen to the word of God and we submit ourselves and allow our appetites to direct and control, that's when we end up with consequences we don't want and that God doesn't want for us. Man does not live by bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God I've got to subject the lust of the flesh to the word of God and allow God to direct and control the desires from within Secondly is the lust of the eyes it's the second part of 1 John 2:16 again the amplified version and the lust of the eyes that's the greedy longings of the mind uh, advertisers are great with this, aren't they? I mean, if you watched any, any college football this weekend or if you watched the NFL on Thanksgiving Day or you watched the Thanksgiving Day Parade, I ruined the Thanksgiving Day Parade for our family, by the way, this year. I'm in a communications and marketing class for my master's and I just noticed something. I don't know why, I never noticed it before, but I noticed something, that the parade is one big advertisement after another. <laughs> Every time they're talking about a new product or a new thing or a new this and uh, something shiny, and, and that isn't that what the commercials come on? I mean, how many of you want to? Some of you, you just got to have that new iPhone 15. I mean, my goodness! I mean, it it just looks so shiny and new. And look at all the videos and the pictures. And I mean, how many of you do that with your own iPhone? You make a movie with your iPhone. But man, you can't be happy without a new iPhone. I mean, you to see it. Or that shiny new car with the bow. Man, that's what I want for Christmas. And if, if I don't see that in my driveway on Christmas morning with a big red bow on it, then my, my spouse didn't do the right thing. Man, they didn't, do, they didn't get it right. Right? Some of you are turning to your spouse right now. That's what you want. Man, I saw one of them. payments $6.99 a month lease. I was like, $6.99 a month? <laughs> oh! If you're paying that, for, uh, forgive me. You, you may God bless you, and you may be able to afford that. I can't. How about fell over? They make that sound like it is such an easy thing, man. That's just the easiest thing. You can't afford it? Just charge it. Let Visa and Mastercard take care of it. The lust of the eyes, right? Adam and Eve see the fruit was good. They saw it. And then verse six, Genesis 3:6 is pleasing to the eye. The eye gate has got to be something that we guard against, because oftentimes that's what begins to lead and trigger those desires from within, coupled with the lust of the flesh, and before we know it, we are controlled, and we have these desires for what is pleasurable. And we have to learn to guard our eyes. We have to learn to guard our eyes. In fact, Jesus in the third temptation he faced in Matthew 4, 8, it says the devil took him to a very high mountain and look at this, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. He took them up and he said, look at all the kingdoms in the world. And he says to him, all of this, I will give to you if you just do what I say, I'm going to give it all to you. You don't have to worry about going to the cross and suffering. Because Jesus was elevated to the right hand of the Father. You know that, right? But what? It was because of his submission and obedience to God. Because he humbled himself and submitted himself to God. But the temptation began with, let me show you something. Let me let you see something. Let me let you see. Let me me show you something. You got to watch the the eyes. Because the eyes make us feel like we, we can't live without it. I can't live without it. It's got, I gotta have it. That's what's going to to give me pleasure. That's what's going to make me feel secure. That's what's going to make me feel happy. Oh man, I'm I'm not happy in my marriage, but boy, certainly that 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 other person certainly looks like I'd be happier with them. Gotta be careful. Jesus warned against the power of the eyes when in Luke 11:34, 34, he said, Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eyes are bad, your body is also full of darkness. The lust of the eyes. The third thing that draws us into idolatry is the pride of life. The last part of, of 1 John 2:16, and the pride of life, which again, in, in parentheses, in, in the amplified assurance in one's own resources... Or in the stability of earthly things. In the stability of earthly things. The pride of life consists of two things. Really boasting about material possessions. And boasting about accomplishments. We might call them the two Ps. Position and possessions. Position and possessions. When we find ourselves uh, uh, finding a particular value in in a position that we forsake all, including our family and our friends or whatever else, in order to gain that position, we might have drifted into idolatry. And when we find ourselves hanging on, believing that there are certain possessions that we need or that we need to hang on to that give us a particular status, look at all that I've accumulated or all that I've accomplished or how much money I have in the bank. Again, Adam and Eve face the same temptation in Genesis 3, 6. And it finishes by saying, and also the the enemy said, they found that was also desiring for gaining wisdom. For gaining wisdom. That's what the serpent had told them. And then for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Being like God was not about imitating God. It was about taking God's place. It was about saying, God, you are not supreme. I can be just like you. I can decide what's best for me. I can decide what's right in my life. I know what's right and wrong. I know what decisions are best, not you. Making God manageable. That's pride. Making God manageable. The enemy is always trying to erode your trust in God. Your need for God. Your faith by getting you to trust other things or other people or even trusting your own abilities and your own judgment above his. That's why Proverbs said that trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own Thank you, understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Why not lean on your own understanding? Because sometimes we don't understand. We don't understand. There are things we don't see. There are things we don't know. There's a bigger picture we don't get. But the enemy always wants to get us to, to, to not trust the Lord and to lean into our own understanding. Jesus was faced with this temptation Satan said to him, all this I give to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Look at that. What's it go back to? I am not going to drift into idolatry. I am not going to worship something else. I'm not going to bow down to something else or anyone else. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I can't, uh, Satan saying, I can make you the ruler of the world. His offer was easier than the cross. He just bowed down and gave his allegiance to, to Satan. Here it is. I, I, I will give you all of this. See, Adam and Eve were given full rule of the earth, but they gave into the pride of life and they lost their authority. But Jesus humbled himself, obeyed God, and was restored, gained the position of ruling at the right hand of the Father. Friends, the lesson is clear. This world is not our home. Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 3. Worship team, will you come as we close to this? Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Or I like how Romans 12:2 in the message puts it, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Are we too well adjusted to our culture? Have we find ourselves desiring the same types of things that the world desires? Do we find ourselves looking to the same things that those who do not follow Jesus Christ look to for safety, for security? For, for a sense of, of identity, for a sense of satisfaction and joy and happiness in their lives? Or do we find our ultimate joy and happiness in Jesus Christ and him alone? What are your pursuits? Are you dragged away by the lust of the flesh? Do you find yourselves being captured by the lust of the eyes? Do you struggle with the pride of life? What in us needs to be crucified. You see, the tendency of our hearts is to drift towards the created things or towards people to help us feel a sense of significance and a sense of security. To feel loved, we tend to sacrifice these lesser things for this sense of significance. Even the good things, if not kept in check, can easily draw our hearts away into idolatry if we are not if we're not careful and if we don't guard against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, we can find ourselves drifting towards elevating the things of this world over our love for God. So let the final verse in 1 John five twenty one be the thing that we meditate on as we begin to focus our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, will you show me something in my life? It says this little children keep yourselves from idols are there idols in your heart is there an area where maybe you're loving the things of this world more than Jesus let's take some time and let's let the Holy Spirit just search our hearts this morning as we begin to close this message in this service Jesus we thank you today for your word Sometimes it's not always easy to hear your word. Sometimes feel like our toes are getting stepped on a little bit. But Lord, you love us and you care about us and you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Because Lord, you know that anything that has our heart more than you can cause pain, can be a thief that can steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan wants to do. So Holy Spirit, I just ask for you right now to come and to search our hearts. Is there anything in our lives that has become an idol? Is there anything in our lives that is directing and controlling our decisions that is, that we are looking to for safety, for security, for assurance above you? Is there anything, Lord, or anyone that we are looking to to make us happy when really, Lord, you are the one that provides the joy in our lives? Is there anything elevated that we've elevated our worship to above you? Jesus, I just pray that right now you would just show us our hearts, reveal our hearts, that we might get our hearts aligned and right with you this morning. Aligned and right with you this morning. We just look to you, and Jesus, if there's any of those idols, we ask for your forgiveness today in your grace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.